Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. And we're running. Hi, and welcome to Verbal Art with Senja Ram. Today here with Ere Sultanstad. Yeah. This is the podcast where I casually interview artists and other creatives about the work they do. And um, today we are back in Asbestos Gallery, where I, two episodes ago, talked to Owen. And now it's a new exhibition. So, um, do you want to shortly introduce yourself, Jere? Well, yes. Um, so, hello. <laughs> I'm Jere and I uh, work as a light artist and light designer. And uh, here I am in my exhibition called Imponderabilia. And what do you mean with this title? With this, with this title? Uh, it's, a, it's a word that has been used uh, in a scientific context uh, in the 1700s, 1800s. Uh, it was meant to describe or speculate upon uh, elements that were not possible to weigh. So to ponder is, is literally to weigh. Mm-hmm. And, um, there was stuff like uh, heat, light, for example, that, that uh, the scientists speculated that they, there, has, there is some kind of material quality to them, but it's not possible to measure with their um, back then equipment. Mm-hmm. And then later on it became, uh, it has another usage, which means um, things that cannot be precisely thought upon or, or described. So it's an interesting theme for for this podcast, I think, as we're trying to describe maybe yes. something that we see. I mean, since light is a very ephemeral material, yes. and, uh, so trying to like haptically work with it is always interesting, but also so is sound and conversation. It's also mm, recording it and like putting it out as, as a three files is a way to try and like capture something that is momentary and like invisible in a way. And I think uh, if, we, if we talk about the scientific context, it's still a bit of a mystery what, what light really is or how it works, because it has this kind of different kind of nature between uh, being a particle, but also, also like acting like a wave. Mm-hmm. Um, so like sound. Different. You like sound, yeah. Light and sound is very different. They are like different but similar in some ways. Yeah, yeah. But Especially mm-hmm. like when you go into kind of cosmic scenarios, it has some proportions that uh, cannot really be thought very precisely as as like you know non-scientific person. <laughs> yeah, I really do not know. I have read some light theory and stuff, and some of the physics stuff. It's very difficult, and like both for sound and light, I have tried to read some yeah. of this heavy science theory, but it's I think it's difficult, and I definitely have not read enough to to speak that much about it. Yeah. It's but inspiring, so to say. It's it's. Inspiring and also, um, I always get very impressed. But maybe we can just like uh, help the listeners um, be in the space with us. So can you help describe what the room? Yeah, it's a relatively small gallery space with um, the ceiling is pretty low and the floor is shiny. <laughs> um, quite confined space um, that has seven artworks on display attached to the walls of the gallery space. Uh, 
shining light in different directions. In like little metal shapes. Yes. Is it upcycled, uh, like um, baking shapes? Yeah, I think um, it, it starts from baking molds, like a cake molds and cookie molds. Mm, like old school grandma. Uh, yeah, some some kind of shapes. nickel tin mixture. I think these days the material like shiny metal stuff attached to each other in a, in a sculptural way. Mm. But then there's also materials that I'm not. I don't know what they are. Um, it's just something that I've been picking up from uh, recycling centers and thrift shops, uh, based on curiosity and, and shininess. And I'm still no who goes around and picks up stuff that shines. Yes, I, 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 I can relate. <laughs> yes. Um, that's that's already a way of working with light. Yeah. Shyness is, is it, it cannot be, it cannot exist without a light source. No, actually, I, I, I have done a lot of light in works in during my art academy time, but every time I have to do something where I have to be very theoretical and conceptual and, and maybe write about it a lot or talk about it a lot, I don't bother to work with light because. For me, that's a medium that I'm like, why did you do it? Well, because it was really pretty. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And so, if you have to over conceptualize it, it's not that interesting because something like light for me is just like, the, it's legit enough that it just like, it's very nice to look at. Yeah, and, and we as, as beings, similarly to some other animals and beings, uh, there is some like innate thing that draws us. To the light, which is not maybe so noticeable these days when artificial light is everywhere. Like the, the planet has not had so many light, so so much light as it has these days oh, ever right. ever before. Just why the sea turtles are getting super confused because yeah, they and had the, and the, the babies are like walking towards uh, Las Vegas instead of towards the beach. Or yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's partly related to this that when you work with light, you, you kind of just get attached to it uh, without knowing really so well why. <laughs> of course, you can you can theorize and you can you can conceptualize it a lot, but uh, I like to like lean on the feeling, on the emotion. Mm. And of course, no light without darkness because you need the contrast. So this is a fairly small room, like you said, with kind of low ceilings, and you have blacked out the windows and yes. the door. With what black molten or uh, the door is uh, some kind of dark fabric I think mm -hmm. meant for darkening windows. Mm -hmm. uh, it just happened to be of the right size to fit the door, which I, I was happy with. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the windows were blacked out with black cardboard and uh, dance mat tape, okay. which was easy and flexible solution as I had the materials ready and I didn't need to uh, really destroy any good molten or other I, uh, um, expensive materials. Yeah, for those who listen and think, what is molten? It's this uh, specific fabric that is often used in stage productions and stuff. Like, often black, you can get it in other colors, but it's often black. Yeah, usually black or, or white, but well, they are yeah. very thick. Um, very thick, good quality, and it absorbs a lot of sound and light and everything. So yes. it's this common stage. Mm. But it's quite expensive. Mm, yeah. 
Uh, and so we are in this very dark room, but then you have hung, like you say, how many? Seven. Seven. They are not all round, but they all have like roundish quality to them. So it's it's like all these little pretty lamps now on the walls yeah, yeah, yeah. that all make like very um, various like patterns and shapes on the walls, like reflections, and they are like red and purple and blue mostly. A little bit yellow, but I, that is just like the color of the bulbs, right? Yeah, that's basically it's, it's like uh, the light acts, acts like paint in these works. Mm. So you choose the palette by choosing the light sources, um, mm. which is kind of my way of painting. And then you use the walls as the canvas? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and in a way, you use the materials as a brush. Um, mm. So I, I, I like to say that I, I'm not very good at painting. Um, I'm way more comfortable in painting like this. I exactly do the same. Yeah. I have made a lot of like like painting those like sculptures and stuff like this, but I can't paint with paint. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a thing that can make you like not so comfortable as an artist because everybody like expects that of course you're a painter. Oh yes. If oh you study art? What you're a painter? Yeah, no, it's the only you thing I never touch. Either paint <laughs> or you do photographs. Yeah, I do do some photographs, but like painting is maybe the only medium that I really never ever yeah. use. There is some, something that makes makes you really nervous about it. Like you, it's at least I'm very shy to even even like try it or show anything to anyone. Uh, this is like something that I'm more comfortable with, although it's still like. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it, it deals a lot with like unknown and not knowing, and uh, you have to believe, but uh, you might not be certain. So unknowing, how was your process then? Like, did you know what you wanted to do down here? Did you know how you wanted it to look at the end, or has it been a, like um, just experimenting? It's a very experimental process. Like I. Would, wouldn't say that any of these words are planned, in, 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 or, or maybe maybe it's, it's, it's a series of artworks that basically are variations of each other. Yeah. Starting starting with the one the, um, called Bloom, which is okay. um, having these warm orange reddish colors. That's actually the one that has started it all, and it's the only one. That has been previously shown as well. Uh, it's the first one. Yes, mm -hmm. um, and it was a work that was never meant to be either. Like I was working on a different exhibition with a certain thematic, and uh, but I just got somehow carried away in my studio and wanted to make a work like this. Mm -hmm. And then yes, it, it came. Uh, it was a part of the of the previous exhibition as well, but it also started this exhibition because in this work I kind of figured out some of the ways to do works like this and, and some solutions that I'm using in this. Uh, so did it start with one of the metal pieces or what? Like yeah, yeah. I think the, the bigger metal piece that acts as the, as the base. I Basically, I think I just shone light on it and then I was interested in the material quality uh, in what happens to the light when you shine it to the base of the, of the material, mm. which is like a Kind of like a bowl, so I it's think like a reflector. Maybe someone has made like uh, these weird jelly uh, dishes in the 70s in this yeah, bowl, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? Or, or, or these, these kind of spicy cakes, you know. Uh, 
um, this very oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, like a, a, a Christmas, yeah, Christmas cake. Yeah, 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 something like that. And then you have like attached other um, metal sh- shapes inside, maybe like muffin shapes or something, so that it looks like a flower. Yeah, it has this kind of uh, nature of being a bit like flower, but you can also like I think. It has some this kind of cosmic quality to it as well. Like um, if you think of this close-up, or in the cosmic sense, close-up photos of, of the sun, it might look a bit dif- uh, a bit similar than this. Or for me, it always had also some kind of destruction, uh, destructive quality to it. Like it, it's not always a happy, <laughs> even if it resembles a flower in the end. Mm-hmm. Another bloom, of of course, means like multiple things at the same time so and is it LED yeah everything or... everything is LED in this exhibition okay so what these little rings or, or strips or what is it a mix yeah, it's just like a small LED components three millimeter and five millimeter LEDs attached to the insides of the works so have you also like done some uh, electronics uh, work for them yeah like the, the the mandatory is that you have to put like um, correct resistors for them, mm. and, and you can also adjust the because every work has uh, multiple LEDs in different colors, so you can adjust the brightness and balance of the colors a bit with uh, oh. putting different resistors. But my, my main goal has been to make these works bright enough, uh, so you need to be careful with choosing the right one so that it's bright enough, but so that it doesn't burn or you know. Mm. So that it has some lifetime. So you don't you don't want to overdrive the LEDs, or you don't want to underdrive them either. So. Sure. And um, did you make them all for this exhibition except for the first one? Yeah. Um, yes. Um, that's the, that's the only only one that is previously shown, and everything else has been made after I've gotten this. Exhibition. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the first one of the blue and uh, warm white ones was also made last year, but the rest are, are completed like a week before this exhibition mm-hmm. uh, or made during the week before the exhibition. Yeah, last week. <laughs> yes, yes. With, the, with the very last piece called Inconderabilia Fifth, is um, made like in the morning of reading the exhibition. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, uh, I. It's also my favorite, I think, or one of them. Uh, it looks like a big eye, the one we're looking at. It looks like a fish eye or something, or frog eye, maybe in like red and white colors. Yeah, I've, I've heard also chameleon eye. Yeah, something like that. Like a reptile fish eye, and it's quite large. The, well, the actual metal piece is pretty small, but the reflection around it is quite large and really nice. Yeah, I think like work even in a bigger space. I think. I think it could have been painted in aquarelle also. It has the same kind of um, how the color mixes and the lines are flowing. It has like aquarelle quality. Yeah, like, like some kind of liquid, mm-hmm. which is again like an interesting notion about the materiality of light. That like I I I have been hearing people who describe light as a, a very liquid. Oh, and then also there's the liquid light, you know, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, what is liquid light? Uh, you know, this 
all the psychedelic rituals that you make with your red Yes. Yeah, okay. So you bought liquids that you shine light through and then the liquids um, react to the heat and do the light. So. Yeah, true, like uh, on the old overhead projectors. and yeah. um, But that's like almost people, almost chemists who do that. Yeah. You know, they really know their materials. Or, or it can also be the kind of fabulous way of not knowing and it's a bit chaotic as well. It can also be a really large... Uh, old uh, artist or group of this is called Liquid Light Lab. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of like social media stuff about it still. Yeah. And what is the mental piece of the eye here? No, I'm just calling it the eye. Yeah, 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 you can call it that. I have to say that I, I started to see this Ouroboros uh, in the serpent that eats its own tail. It's, ah, kind of, it's uh, like medical symbol. Or mythological, no, not the medical one. Like this. Ah, the, the, the circle, yeah. True. Which is kind of the eternity in the way. I think I'm considering it to be radical because the Ouroboros reminds me of um, Scully from X Factor. There's oh, an okay. episode called <laughs> an Ouroboros with this like um, Scully starts dating this guy who has a tattoo that makes him do evil things, and okay. Scully gets this tattoo of the Ouroboros. Oh, okay. um, and like she is a doctor. So, uh, somehow in my brain, I have like, made a medical symbol. How that figures. You asked about the materials. It's, uh, I think it's two decorative plates. Okay. Attached, kind of, kind, kind of close together, and then the light is uh, fixed in between. So it's not actually metal. It's glass or? or? It's it's metal. Everything it's metal. everything is metal. Here, uh, even the one that doesn't look like metal. I, I thought it was wood, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, considering that we're sitting here in the dark, and maybe we can, what we can see is the light reflections of these parts of sculptures, then in the actual metal parts, a lot of them look like black silhouettes, so I can't really see the material until I go really close. Which is interesting also that for now we are not going really close, so I don't exactly know what we're looking at. Yeah, well, well this one with the, the fourth one, Mm-hmm. Of, of the Imponderabilia series, um, which has this uh, cold and warm white hues that mix in, in a pretty paint-like way as well. Mm-hmm. It actually, like if you go close enough, it acts like a mirror, so you can see your face. Oh, that's it. interesting. And it also reflects, if it has this circle or, um, or spherical um, reflective, kind of, not, not, not a perfect half ball, but you know, mm-hmm. bowl-like uh, construction in the front of it, it also reflects the light of the other works in the in the exhibition, so you can you can look at the exhibition through this work or via it. But um, hmm. that's mostly also like a happy accident. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I didn't have the opportunity to put up all these pieces in my workspace. Also, I didn't have the time. <laughs> and also, when you work with the walls as a canvas and stuff, then. You can try them out in one space, but in the actual space, something else might come up. Like um, the first one we talked about, the red flower, I'm going to yeah. call it. Um, it's just next to some um, fixed uh, like water pipes and, yeah. and cables on the wall. Uh, so they become part of like what is highlighted. Yeah, yeah. yeah because that's also like one of the words that shine light very brightly outside and from the world, like, uh, mm-hmm. to the opposite wall, which is like, 
if you put up seven live art pieces to such a small space, you have to really consider how to install them. And they bleed into each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes it can be desired that they bleed into each other, but you mentioned the kind of black silhouette quality of the metal pieces. That's that's been quite important for me in these mm. these works. But I also don't want to paint anything black because I think the interesting part is that you kind of first think something is black, but then when you look at uh, carefully enough, you notice that it's still reflective, mm. but the light is kind of doing the trick of uh, painting it black for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just like the that the moon is never actually half; it's just that like yeah. the Earth is shadowing on it, yes. so that we can't see it all. So it took me like at least twenty-five years to fully understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, the moon is a, like a three-dimensional thing, and not just, you know... <laughs> and also, like, the Earth can cast a shadow on it from so far away. What? <laughs> How can the Earth cast a shadow from the sun if I can't see the sun? Like, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, how is it? You have worked a lot with light, but this is... Is it your first exhibition where you show like light sculptures as a series like this? Mm, it's my first solo exhibition, and, and yeah, first, first one containing like such a more or less complete series of artworks. Like previously, when I've had an exhibition where I have like multiple artworks, then they are very different from each other. So it's it's the first experience of also purposefully creating a series mm. of artworks. Uh, and yeah, it's, I call the exhibition Imponderabilia and I call some of the works Imponderabilia 2, but there's basically Bloom, Bloom 2, and then Imponderabilia 1 to 5. Okay. Yeah. So I consider them being the same series even though they don't have all the common name. I mean, aesthetically, they are very um, stringent, like it's a really. Uh, they really seem like they have been created to be one series. Yeah. There is this kind of also the how they are set up is more or less chronological order. Oh yeah, that's interesting because yeah, when we came in, like I asked, like is there an order? And you're like, yes, it starts over here yeah. to the left of the door, and then it goes like clockwise. Yeah. And yeah. So one that was one question I had been thinking to ask: if you hung them chronologically or yeah. Yeah, there it's it's uh, almost chronologically, uh, but I think the most interesting thing in it is that. You can kind of follow it, at least when I tell this, uh, <laughs> that there, there are rules that are being um, developed and then they are also being broken. So The uh, rules that you develop for yourself? Yes, or yeah. for the works, because it's, it's a very... Um, this series is something that has, has some kind of principle on how do I make works that belong into this series. Mm. Uh, and as I said, it starts from the, from the flower, the bloom, which mostly was the one that where I figured out some mechanical things and some materials and how to how to attach stuff and how to work with the LEDs. Mm. Um, and then there's Bloom 2 which is or Bloom the second which is the like straightforward variation from from the first one. Mostly mostly similar, just a bit smaller, a bit, a bit less complicated I'd say and different colors. But then when you go to the imponderabilia first it kind of flips something in the in the first developed rule. The the direction of light basically changes. Um, yeah. 
also the shape of the of the objects and and um, kind of how, how 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 things are stacked, how things are attached, it changes. Uh, so so the principle is kind of uh, changed in this one, and then there's a triptych of uh, imponderabilia one, two, and three, which are like all similar, uh, all basically not copy paste, but you know, made with the same principle. Yeah, they have the same colors and they all have like similar scale, both like yeah. the metal pieces and the reflection. And they all look like big blooming flowers on the wall somehow, or some kind of other mandala. Yeah, yeah, and, and then they also have like because the, these works always have, or not always, but usually have like two objects that are attached. So the object in these are similar, or, or I'd say the same, as close as they can get. Are these rules important just to you for your own process, or do you think they're important for the viewer as well? I think it, it gives certain like logic to the viewer as well. So that if you follow follow through the series, you can notice this kind of rule set that I am describing. That there's first established rules, and then by the time you move in the in the fourth work, you notice that something is a bit different, yeah. uh, or a lot of things are actually quite different. The scale, uh, the objects, how they match into each other is, is very different from from the three similar ones that I just described. Uh, also, the colors of the LEDs are. Uh, very different, mm. or somewhat different, uh, which I think is, is like, you, if you think of a series of artworks, you have to have this kind of changes in it. Like, I wouldn't be happy with this exhibition if I only repeated the same principle as it is, but I'm very happy that I've been able to repeat it, uh, but change it at, at some point, mm. and break my own rules and the principles. And by the time you walk to the last page, you notice that it's um, broken at multiple parts. It's the wildest somehow. Yes, yes yeah. it is. And there's, there's like very good reasons how it is the wildest. Like <laughs> less things are attached to each other and it's more like a, flexible in, in, in this way. And, and also the most unknown because I think it changes every time you install it. Oh, yeah. And you made it like super shortly before and after you already made all the others. And sometimes you need this process of going through a series of something until you like intuitively can just do it. Or I don't know, like it's working with things, it's always you repeat yourself and experiment and you get to know your materials and your style and then you start doing like really good experiments after some time. Sometimes from the beginning, but there's a reason why people work with the same things over and over again, and it's because they are not done with them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's also I think a thing that I have started to understand only quite recently. Uh, I have had this this feeling previously. I've been very wrong about this. That it, it would be very like talented to always do very different things, uh, and I, I think it comes from the from the idea that. As a lighting designer, you want to work on a bit of different kind of performances and do different things in the performances. Maybe, maybe that's not wise either. Like you could, you could develop the style more, and you know, just um, keep developing the, the principles and the, and the similar things that you might be interested in or find very effective on stage. But when I kind of moved to 
towards creating my own artworks. Uh, independently, I, I still, I think, I was suffering from this <laughs> wrong <laughs> viewpoint that I, I wanted to make very different kinds of, of artworks, which I still do. But uh, this has been a very, very interesting experiment. Mm. Really try to keep keep something from the previous one, but always to stick with the format. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot for me to unpack in all this you just said before because I do relate a lot. Um, so I'm just thinking where to start. I think personally, I used to have this attitude that I didn't like to repeat myself, but it's just because I get bored with doing the same thing a lot, which is one of the reasons why I decided to study art in the first place because I thought I can't study one thing for five or six years. What? I'm gonna get so bored. Because I like to do it a lot for the first year or two, and then I want to do something new. But so being in an art academy, you get to do whatever you want all the time. So you can totally just change your medium, your direction, and renew yourself every year if you want to. And then I think after a while of doing these things like more full time, I realized that it is interesting to reuse things just because something new happens to them when you put them in a new context or you use the materials in a different way or you scale it up or down or combine it with new things and then like something happens to the works and the materials and the ideas when you kind of make iterations of them or upcycle them and also sometimes it's just practicalities that it makes sense to not invest in a whole new tool set or a whole new medium every time you end up for many years I'm like oh then I do this and I buy all these materials and then they end up like all this bookbinder glue and stuff it just ends up like drying out on my shelf yeah. because then I don't touch it again for five years yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so sometimes it also makes sense to stick with something for a while at least yeah. and then later you like realize how these things can be combined in new ways and yeah yeah and then there is there is very like literal story about this um, uh, that you just described about uh, in these words as well as one of my previous artworks um, called Peli uh, Pöllä Bubospekulus. Uh, mirror, mirror Owl. Yeah, Pöllä is Owl. Pöllä yeah. means like poo in Danish. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I've been having these kind of secret versions of it, but let's not go into it. Peli Pöllä, yeah, those are actually two words I know in Finnish. Uh, okay. I translated this. So, Bubospekulus uh, being the kind of quite Latin name for it, okay. which was uh, a fictive dystopian owl sculpture. Mirror owl. Yeah, made out of these kind of shiny mirroring materials. Mm-hmm. And yes, I have been gathering these materials for, for future um, versions of the, mm-hmm. of the owl, which I have been needed, needing as well. But then also a lot of like surplus, a lot of stuff just laying around in, in the workspace. Which is like the happy scenario that you can start working on something without knowing that you start working on something because you have everything mm-hmm. you need at hand. Yeah, for and sure. You can just like reach. I have such a small workspace that I can reach like <laughs> you know, around <laughs> without moving too much. So you can just sit in the middle and reach everything. Uh, well, not exactly, but I have I have like figured out some some ways of doing that. Like I have chairs in the right places. No. <laughs> but but these these are like. Material that I have been gathering uh, 
because I have been thinking that I might need this for something, but also because I'm just naturally interested in this. Uh, and then at some point, I didn't keep them kind of reserved for, for future owl sculptures anymore, but started thinking that this might actually become something Sometimes. by themselves yeah. and not have to do any more owls. <laughs> I will do them at some point. <laughs> uh, so so it's, it's kind of, you have this kind of uh, material that becomes free, free to use. And, and it's, it's very interesting that sometimes you know already when you're putting up these kind of small sculptures that I do, that yes, I know exactly what piece this is missing. And mm -hmm. I know that it's in this box of junk that I keep in this corner of my room. And you just rummage through the box and it fits perfectly. So, so you kind of have this secret knowledge of, of all the junk you have collected. And it's, it's, it's the ongoing thought process of how to use them. I am right now sorting all the stuff in my studio. And so I have all these boxes happening with like different <laughs> things. And I've just made a box of like random metal pieces that I do not know what they are or where they belong yeah. or... But I have collected them. Yeah. Do, you, do you want to keep them or are you trying to go away? <laughs> no, I'm keeping them. Just asking yeah. for a friend, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people, like let's say relatives who know what I'm working with, um, they just start to collect stuff for me, which, yes, it's a very like nice thought of them. Like, I'm very happy about this. But it's, it doesn't activate the brain in the same way as me, myself, finding the material mm. from, from wherever I find this. But it's, it's different getting them than finding them. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, you collect all these things. I, I mean, I've done a lot of like light sculptures and, and stuff and installations. Not working so much with metal, I've worked a lot with glass. Yeah. Uh, really, a lot with like, you remember you've seen, yeah, yeah this with the um, recycled glass jars that you have from jam and pickles and all this. Yeah. It's a wonderful material to work with because you can always gather it for free. Yeah. It just takes time. So, Copenhagen, I had this huge collection that I had that I used for this festival in Northern Jutland multiple times, so you know, you collect all these drawers, you wash them, and it takes a long time to yeah. wash all the stickers off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have to every time clean them and polish them before using them because they get greasy and dusty. And yeah. transporting them to and from Northern Jutland, which is the mainland in Denmark, several times back and forth in a car, many hours back and forth. And then, like, in the end, I had to give them all away oh, yeah. because, you know, I couldn't store them and I was moving out of the home there. Then here in Finland, I was collecting and collecting for some years, and then I used it for these like I built these glass walls that I projected yeah. video through, which is what you have seen. I think, yeah. This I, I made it twice. I I redid it a few years later because I still had all these glass jars yeah, and I collected even it. more <laughs> and I made it even larger the second time. Oh, nice. But also, you know, yeah, you need to use them like. Yeah. I have carried these glass jars, like maybe 200 glass jars in different sizes. Yeah. Like, oh, they have been lifted a lot, not just by me, by many people up and downstairs, in and out houses. And in the end, I just, when I moved out of my last home, I had to just give them away. I had been saving them in like three moving boxes or something yeah. for, you know, future use because now I have this amazing. Yeah, you, you can't find them anymore if you. If you well, you can find new ones, but yeah. it will take you. 
forever to clean them again oh, and yeah. everything. So I just, you know, you have this amazing collection with so many work hours already put yeah. into them. All this labor, but then I couldn't keep storing them. They take space, they're heavy. So I gave them away, but luckily I found someone who took the whole collection, who was a prop master for uh, TV. Oh. And they were gonna do, they were working on this finished TV show where there was gonna be a hoarder. And oh. so they were gonna like do this setting where this person had been collecting all these things in that massive scale. So she said, like, it's perfect. <laughs> she promised to send me pictures of the set, which she never did, so I think she forgot. But at least, like, they have been passed on to make new art. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's <laughs> um, You could also have made a deal with, like, that you can, you can borrow them when you need them. No, I know, now they're out of the world. I can collect you if I want. I also worked a lot with the exhaustors, maybe it's enough, but I think. For me, that has just been something that's just been sitting in my studio with a glass jar and a flashlight, and yes. just making pretty lights on the wall, and spending an hour like this, like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always think. <laughs> Sometimes you make a performance out of it as well. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, it's so easy to distract yourself with something shiny, like you said. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, I think it's valid to think that whether it's better to keep all this random junk at your workspace or whether it would be better to actually recycle it. You know, if you think of the metal junk, it, it might be like worth a while to recycle. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, hoarding, yes, I, I do that uh, a bit. But you need to, because you, you cannot to. build a sculpture of dust jars until you have gathered like 150 dust jars. Yes. Or, you know, like you need a certain amount of something for it to to create this purpose. Sometimes, yeah. not yes. always, but sometimes. And, and it's vital, at least for my, my working, how I was working on this exhibition, it's vital that I have the things I need. I don't want to search for, for stuff. I don't want to like, um, you know, plan ahead and design. I, I, want to, I want to be in the, in the flow zone of just like reaching around to the boxes of junk and smashing things together. To be able to do it intuitively when you want to. Yes. I know this idea. I work a lot at night and then if I'm like, I want to do this now and I need something and if I can't get it, it's really annoying. Yes. And then it kind of, you know, if, if ideas have wings, uh, you kind of cut them off at that point. When you need to like start googling where to find this stuff. Or... I mean, but for instance, you can go to Berko Kaupa uh, kiosk like 24-7 here in Helsinki. Not anymore, they changed it. Really? Yeah. Oh, that was this like yes. big outlet store that had electronics and like building stuff and everything and they had a 24-7 outlet kiosk so you could order it online and pick it up 15 minutes later. Yeah. But they changed I, I, I think they changed some, oh. something at least. Yeah. Oh well. But uh, I want to go back to something you said before. So talking about being a light designer. So your background is in you studied in the theater academy in the light design program, right? Yes, graduated as a master um, two no two and a half years in twenty twenty mm. summer. Um, and so your background is in theater lighting. Uh, yes. Well, I haven't been this kind of you know hobby theater person uh, for, for a long time. Like many people in the academy have this background, but uh, I think my way into, into light was mostly music. I have some... So like concert music. music. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was a musician myself at some point and then uh, 
kind of stopped playing, but then kept involved. Uh, got somehow interested in light during during high school, and then started to do you know do lights as they say for for um, for friends uh, mm. for their band. Uh, bought some equipment for myself and started you know doing these small gigs. And then so in Finnish it's called to do lights. Yes. Yes, you Danish, do lights for a band. In Danish it's called to make light. Oh yeah, well... But is it to make light as if you create light or... Uh, so in Danish I would say, yeah, le lus. I make light for concerts. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I think you could, you could also translate that. Like, hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes. Um, but then I think at some point I noticed that not many people kind of pay attention to those acting concerts or, or it, it felt very much without a purpose, you know. Um, I mean, uh, one could argue that you have done your job as a lighting designer really good when people don't notice it, but that they have the experience of it nonetheless. Yeah, you, you can work as a, like in, in a subconscious level, but uh, it was also challenging for myself to, to find like purpose in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially compared to when I when I first got into like dance productions and theater productions, mm-hmm. circus stuff like that, then suddenly it felt like oh, light has like a meaningful role in this, and and it can it can be like uh, it can it can work as a performer, it can work as a whole level of the performance. It's like a set design element or a scenography tool. Yeah, or or like an an, an actor. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, even. Or, or it builds worlds. I mean, I do, yeah, I, I, I do resonate a bit with this because I've done concert lights as well. And you ask the band, is there anything? I mean, I, I was in one venue, and so I just had all these different bands coming that I would do the lights yeah, for. Yeah. So I have my own like programmed um, shows that I recycled a lot of um, programs, and but I would also fix the the lights or the fixtures for each concert and, mm-hmm. and adapt and adjust. I would always ask the bands like, is there things you hate or love or like, but you don't have that long, you can't like especially program a whole show for them because you only have the sound check time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe get a set at some point. Or... Yeah, but it's, it's in the same day, so it's yeah. not like if they want a specifically programmed show, they need to bring their own light designer. Yeah. Um, but sometimes... And even for them, even if they bring their own designer, the gigging life is usually so that it's not very. You don't have a lot of time. I mean, and the different venues have different lights and setups, yeah. and so you can't always have what you want unless you bring the whole production yourself, yeah. which is what people do for really big shows. With the big, big concerts, people see like they basically have everything fixed on rigs and they roll it into the back of trucks and then they drive it around. And they like roll a whole stage production fixed out of a truck. Like, but I have not worked in this scale. I've only done like small venues. Yeah. Um, but sometimes a band would be like, just put on like one orange lamp or something and leave it like that. And be like, oh my god, are you serious? I I wait, wait. here the whole night to press like play and yeah. stop. What's oh, so boring? So sometimes I would like. Oh, really have this battle with like wanting to be an artist and then also wanting to be a good service technician and <laughs> oof. But it, it, I think this is this is interesting because 
sometimes it feels like putting this single orange light is the is the best design there is. Like I mean, if, if it's if it's conceptual. And it's their choice. Yeah. But I am definitely more of a designer and artist than I am like just a service technician yeah, because yeah, exactly. I would sometimes like push it a little bit and do stuff anyway, even though which is not good. If people have asked you to not do that, you should not do that. But um, it's also just that a lot of bands have been in venues with people who had no idea what they were doing with the lighting consoles, yeah. especially rock bands. I've experienced a lot of metal bands yeah. who have been to places where people thought it's rock and metal, they want to be stroked yeah. for one yeah. hour, yes. and then people start almost throwing up because yeah. you cannot be in that much blinking, it's like insane. So one metal band I had, they were like, no, we just want you to turn on this one color. Don't touch it, but then they saw me do the warm-up band, and then they were like, while they were going on stage, they thought, okay, that was okay, if you want to do something, you can do something. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of trust as Exactly, well. and then I got to do a show, and they said otherwise, it was some of the best life they ever had, but yeah. I think they they were so afraid, they said, we have been in enough venues where people have like just blinked us off stage. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of really bad stuff uh, in, in the concert or, or yeah, in, so in people get paranoid and then they say which you better keep it like, safe like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, so you have to develop a way to keep it like controlled um, but I, I have been describing this kind of especially when you are working at a festival or at that mm-hmm. venue that you don't usually work at uh, and then you do random bands that are not familiar for you and you don't have the time or the resources to actually like you don't really even know their music, you no, listen no, no. a little bit on YouTube when you listen to yeah. a sound check, but you don't have time to really get to know them. And people still think that this is lighting design. Well, I don't think it's lighting design, it's, it's survival. <laughs> like I, have been, I have been using this word previously, like it's, it's about survival, you want to survive the gig. And, and to do design is completely different. But, but that's what I mean when you said before that like as a like designer for performances, you had this idea that needed to be new every time. For me, it was opposite because I was in the same venue. I knew my lamps, I knew yeah. my stage, and so obviously I reused a lot of my programming yeah. for for things because I knew I had tricks that worked for this space, and yeah. so um, you know, then you can use it for several bands. It's repetition, but it's still. You cannot reinvent yourself like every time, especially if you have three or four bands in one yeah, night, which yeah. I sometimes have. Like then you decide on some colors that you choose for. You choose a few color schemes and you separate it, yeah. maybe so that they don't all have the same vibe. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but um, I think yeah, I, I kind of abandoned some of the uh, live music lighting survival <laughs> for a while, but then like I've been getting back to it. Some, some some bands that are really really nice to work with and, and really rewarding to do um, as a lighting designer. And it's the same bands every time, so you yeah, know them when you know the music. Yeah, I try to keep it like that. Of, of course, I, I'm being offered like interesting projects and I'm eager to do them, but I want to try to keep it as a design and not as a survival. I miss doing the live shows because like it feels like jamming, you know you. You're painting the stage and you're yeah. like rhythmically dancing and pressing the buttons and like to the beat of the music and when it's really good, like I, I've used all my hands, I was about to yeah. say, like so many fingers and fingers and sometimes I've used my nose to yeah. press buttons. Or you can use your feet as well or, or, or any body 
parked, basically. I mean, my, I guess my console was pretty high, so I don't know if I could like reach it with my phone. Uh, you can like, <laughs> like, but you it's, can it's so nice. It feels like you're jamming with the band. If you're really like synergizing with what is happening, and it's yeah, I do no, miss it quite a lot. My, my favorite parts are like with the band that I'm working with. Let's call it uh, the name is Miruta. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's call it the right name. Yes, <laughs> let's not keep it the it's a good band, by the way. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm actually playing a part, a musical part, that mm -hmm. is just not heard. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a thing that could be in the music, but it's muted. Mm -hmm. It's only a visual thing. And sometimes when there's like, it's a lot of, they do a lot of like improvisation in life. Uh, I've had times when I feel like I'm actually, at times like, um, maybe even leading it or, or like giving signals like, if I start to give, give an impulse with light, the musician might also like react to it. And, and it's, it's very, very, even though we're at the opposite sides of the space, as I'm in the front of the house and they're on the stage, mm -hmm. uh, there is a definite connection. Uh, sometimes, not always. Uh, but for, for me, it has been, has been a very like instru instrument-like um, experience. And that's why I'm also like a bit pissed off of the, um, of the consoles that we use as light lighting uh, designers that you want to play an instrument mm. but then you all only have like faders and buttons and screens so where's the kind of haptic control where's the where's the dynamic i mean that's why i prefer to have an actual physical console with faders and buttons and knobs and to not use like a mouse on a screen yeah 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 i do that as well but let's Okay, quick, quick imagination. Mm. Um, you have a button, mm. and you have something behind that button. Let's say you press the button, and the button you have uh, some kind of flash happening at the mm. button. Yeah. Why, why doesn't the button work like an instrument does? So that the harder you press the button, the brighter the light will be. For example. Oh, in that way, like pressure sensors. Yes, mm. velocity sensitive yeah. buttons that exist in any musical device you can find, more or less. Um, you could. Yes, I, I, get, I, there are workarounds. Yes, if you but, get into like electronics, you could uh, build your own. Yes, I've, I've done this. Uh, it needs a bit of hacking, uh, but uh, I I know what you mean. Um, I for a while I had I was um, really wanting to to become good enough at electronics to build like. Uh, some kind of traveling light show, you know, this yeah. idea of having a suitcase yeah. with a, like a one-man band. So yeah. I have this idea that I wanted to like be able to open a suitcase on the stage and have yes. like, um, I thought, why is the lighting technician hidden? Why could I not be on the stage yeah. also? Yeah. And then I wanted to have these things where I could like, <clears throat> you know, like a tyramin where you play with your arm in the air. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to control light with like touch it's and arm movements, you know, yes. like Exactly. So, exactly. so this is my dream. I I have not um, managed yet to program and build these things, but it is on my like future to do list of, of things. Um, because I have the same idea. Like I am so rhythmical and I can do so much here, but but why can't I control it more immediately? Yes. Yeah. You have to always like translate a lot of stuff. You you can like do dynamic things with a fader, but you need to. You can program it well so that you can have very uh, easy control, but it's still, I know what you mean. Yes, you have to like translate it, it into technology. 
Yeah. Uh, well, you want to kind of be a painter. <laughs> Again, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to just move my arms yeah. and like control things with like waving movements and yeah. stuff. And like I think... You, you want to be like body somehow engaged. And it's possible. Like um, you can do visual setups where you control video with um, with cameras, for yeah, instance, so that, you, cameras so that you yeah. use a camera as it's a remnant control for then controlling um, yeah. the video. And you know, the first time I tried this, I was like, what? I felt like a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most magical ever. And then it's, then it's not about survival. It's, it, it becomes magic. It's about magic. It's and, so and much charm. Yes. <laughs> you suddenly, instead of like firing cues, you start to like fire spells. <laughs> yes, and like you know, you you throw your hand gestures in the air, and the video is like like yes. vibing with yes. you, and you're like controlling with. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes. That's that's why I always have like not always, but sometimes I have been envying the um, people who work with like. DJ stuff and do videos as, as I feel like it's a lot more expressive in this sense because it's not so industrialized the control part of it like people make their own setups more in, in, in light and design uh, which I kind of start getting bored <laughs> to talk about uh, is uh, I think it's it's way too much connected to some kind of like industry that you have this standardized equipment standardized Standardized things. People yeah, want to be very economical because pro productions are like crazy big. And it's very always... few companies who make these things. It's yeah. actually like light design, is, as far as I know, it's quite few companies that sit on like the massive scale of it. Yeah. It's exactly. very expensive. And then, then people wonder why everything looks the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Uh, same lamps everywhere, same stages everywhere. But I mean, Same it makes sense everything. because then when you're a traveling show, like yeah. you kind of know you get the ear already, it's and so <laughs> this does make sense. Like, in some ways. We, we, we mentioned the Ouroboros, the self eating surgery. I think this is like also <laughs> one way of thinking about it. Self eating like, industry. It's, it's, it's very easy to get like frustrated in it, but it's also something that I think we love. <laughs> so that's why it's also the frustration is like on the flip side of love. Yeah. I definitely would like to do more theater and performance stuff, like um, as like with light and visuals, and just working with this kind of stage format. And uh, I like concerts, but I do recognize what you said that in in performances and stuff, these things can have more of like their own agency. Um, somehow, because it's not just about like backing up a band, it's. It's like co-creating a wholesome visual experience, which with concert can be the same, but yeah. it maybe requires you to work with the same band or at least to have a someone who's very open to your experience. I have done some experimental stage stuff where people have come and I've been like, I brought all these mirrors, would it yeah. be okay that I make an experimental stage setup? Yeah. And then some people have been like, well, cool, no one has ever done this much work for us. Or, yeah. And then you get to play around, but but mm, you have to respect that they are like the actual name, artist names. Yeah. And even though it's called that you're standing in front of house, this is a term we used before. So front of house is where the the sound technician and the lighting technician of an event of a concert would be, and it's confusing name <laughs> the the front of house because actually it's in the back of the audience or in the middle of the, the yeah. audience is big enough. 
So the audience will have their back to the front of house, but for the technical thing, that is where you're like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's frontal, from the stage. It's in front of the house, yeah, yeah. I don't know, it's <laughs> a little bit confusing. I don't know what's the etymology really, but... No. For F-O-H. Yeah, that's the, the, the abbreviation of F-O-H, and so this is like a little bit of industry lingo. I always try to explain terms to yeah, the listeners, that's, that's because good, I good. dabble in a lot of different... Um, <laughs> Areas of art here, and people use a, they throw around a lot of technical terms that okay. I think a lot of people listening have no idea what it is. Let us take a moment to explain what LED is. It's light emitting diode. Oh yeah, okay. I just kind of assumed that LED is now a very commonly understood topic. Um, like light laser. That's also like it's not a word. It's, I don't know where it comes from, or I don't remember. But later, people understand what laser is these days. Mm, yeah. But though it, it, it contains many, many words. Oh, is laser an abbreviation? Yes, it is. Oh, I didn't know. It's such a long abbreviation. Yeah. Oh, that's really I interesting. Think it's, it, it has something to do with alignment. Light alignment. I don't know. Oh, okay. Now, anyway, I'm curious. <laughs> I will look this up when I go home later. Always <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, have to, uh, to look up some laser when you go home. Um, so, but then, what is your future plan with all this, like working with light as a medium, as we now have clearly explained, can mean many things. Is Do you want to go more into exhibition uh, work like this? To yeah, um, this is definitely like, during my master's I think I, or, or even at the late bachelor stage in, in, in the academy, I started to lean towards uh, really, let's say, fine arts and, and putting up my own art pieces. Like it, it has been taking a while to really figure it out properly or, or and, and it's always a learning process, but uh, yes, it's it's something that has drawn me towards itself. I'm still like, let's say, I'm working as a lighting designer. I'm also working as a technician. I, I do a lot of stuff related to light as my job, but if you think of passion, and I think this is this is something that speaks to me in that sense currently. Mm. Um, and yes, I'm I'm an active member of the Finnish Light Art Society, Helsinki oh. Flash, which is again an abbreviation. Ah, oh, um, yeah, and that is which like, you should be as, as well if you are interested in light art or if you work with light. I know, um, but it's like and also to the listeners. Yes, that's a very good opportunity to. Uh, I feel like this whole like scene is not so easy to come to foreigner and step into, also with the concert lights and stuff. I miss it, but it's never really felt like I could just step into Helsinki and get like a venue gig or, you know, because there are a lot of people who are educated, especially for this and who yeah. know the local people and I don't know. But, but let's say um, I was doing curator work for Flash for the uh, reason. Yeah, maybe explain what Flash is like organizing this like uh, annual light festival. Right? Um, Biennale. Biennale. Okay. So it's Finland is a very dark country for proof. Um, at least half the year is very dark here. Yeah. So um, in the summer very light, but in the winter super yes. dark. In the winter is very long. So there is a lot of light art here, and there is a lot of light art festivals with outdoor oh, installations. Oh, yeah. and we we actually we don't. Like think the flash as a as a or the flash piano as a festival because it's it's more like an exhibition. Okay. Um, 
that's that's I think uh, it's important to understand the distance between these two because festivals are usually you know more based on entertainment and spectacle. Mm. And a Biennale is more like an exhibition of fine art. Mm. Of fine art, yes, very important. Yes. It's so fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, even even if some of the works are outdoors, they usually also have like indoor spaces or, okay. or mostly like we had. Last time we had, I think, uh, was it two or three pieces outside oh. out of twelve, if I remember correctly. I might and get the facts. So, as a curator, you were like um, selecting artists from based on an open call, or yeah, we had an open call and some invitational pieces uh, okay. based on the. We had a theme of uh, it was called Flash Tree, Light and Death. So, death-related light art, mm. uh, or. What is the flip side of death? Well, life-related life art could also mm-hmm. be the kind of mission. But what I was about to say about this that you were kind of stressing about not having education. Well, um, not we, stressing, but the, the the kind of circles and society of light artists in Finland is quite small. It's a small nation, small country, mm-hmm. uh, small population. Yeah. And to be to be an artist that works with life is a very very niche thing. There are few schools that you can study art in on a university level in Finland. Very very few. But there there is no education to light art. No no one, no one is an educated light artist. As, as light designer, but for mostly for theatre, right? Yes, and we have like one or two courses in the academy that teach you maybe something about light art, which is uh, they are very good courses. I I've been very very uh, inspired from this course. Um, but most people are like uh, designers or maybe sculptors or painters who have started working with light out of curiosity or out of necessity, I don't know. <laughs> and, and became like profiled light artists or artists working with light. But as a curator, we were, I was working with my colleague Alexander Salvesen, who is also a light artist and, and a fine artist um, and a designer. Um, We come from the same school. All these titles. We were the most interested to find people that we don't know that are mm-hmm. light artists or working with light. And we we managed to collect some sculptors and painters mm-hmm. like who come from very different backgrounds. And that's interesting for 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 an event like this that you have like more than ten different pieces and to have the artists from different backgrounds as well to to. Broaden this bubble of light art in Finland. That's that's the most interesting thing. So I would say you don't need to stress about education. Part of the society is uh, part of its mission uh, is to educate people as well. No, no, I didn't mean so much for um, for applying to an open call or an exhibition. Now yeah. I thought more about like how I was doing concert lights as a pedagogy for instance. So here there is this light designer program in the theater academy where people are educated to do performance lights and stuff so I mean I just don't think stepping in from the outside and being like give me one of those jobs because there are not that many you yeah, know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, in Copenhagen I, I got this job because I was volunteering at the venue for years yeah. and then I got into learning how to do concert lights there and yeah. so it's you have to basically know a group that you want to work with And then through the group you can get the opportunities to work at the venues and, and yeah exactly. And so which I is I think the more more interesting way as well. Um, yeah, 
But I mean, I do miss it, but I also don't have like um, the career flexibility right now to, yeah. to put in like certain amount of like volunteer hours somewhere to then get to maybe do lights for some random bands or I don't know. But definitely exhibitions and stuff, sure, I could apply for that. Yeah. Um, but I also have the feeling like as, as being an educated lighting designer, I still have the feeling and let's say audacity to to think that I could do many kinds of designs in, in, in different projects like not at once but you know well I'm not I'm not really comfortable with doing costume design but uh, I have done some sound designs yeah I could like basically if it's interesting enough I think I will not fix the light no no and many yeah. lighting designers work with scenography with video video but, uh, also like sense and sound and mm. costume and whatever like or, or maybe they also are like co-directors or something um, I don't know if, if you share this like um, that you, you don't maybe have to be so nervous like you are an artist yeah. and, and you work you work in a group of artists and I think like if you think of some um, some time back uh, some great scenographies were done just so that they just employed some visionary uh, mm-hmm. artist into the group, and then they brought like basically they would do as they would do a sculpture, but they just do it on stage. I did one Tiak degree uh, performance uh, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, where I did like uh, used video as part of the set design. I had like seven projectors. Yeah, <laughs> but but at the same time, sometimes it feels very difficult when let's say somebody comes and sees your exhibition like this one, and then, then they are really interested in your work. And then they're like, I want to do a performance where, where this work is mm-hmm. there, or, or can, you, can you do an artwork to the stage? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, basically, yes, why not? Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's very common that you, at least in my experience, it's, that you notice that suddenly the work just has less of this kind of breathing space, less of... Well, they have to collaborate with a lot of other elements suddenly. Yeah. Like, here it's very, like, this room is reserved for only these few pieces, and yeah. you can hang them how you want, and you don't have to ask anyone else's opinion. And it's also about the, about the person who experiences this. Mm. Like, it's, it's, all the senses are basically uh, reserved for, for this mm. experiencing these things. Yeah, sure, like, there's no, like, you don't have to also listen to sound and look at someone moving and... Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's about thought process as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, let's say, you, you do a kinetic artwork and then somebody wants it in a, in a stage play and then suddenly they maybe demand something of the artwork, like, could it maybe move in this way or can it change color? Yeah, but let's do it. Kinetic just means movement. <laughs> so, but often with kinetic artworks, it's something that moves on its own, either like robotically programmed or electronically, or by wind, maybe. Or, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, like sometimes people want uh, some artistry to a project, but they also want to control it in a different way or or have different demands. But when when it kind of there's a question, is it anyone the same thing or? Yeah, and it's quite interesting when doing stuff like this, like theater performances where people are employed from different fields, like, you know, musicians and theater people, actors, and then like artists, and 
people come from very different backgrounds that has very different work um, styles and yeah. everyone approach this process in each their way and it can be interesting to kind of like unify that and find a collective way yeah. that functions but it's always like it's, it's a negotiation yeah it is and it's like um, it has a lot to do with budget and time obviously and it has a lot to do with people's willingness to compromise yeah and, and like the kind of social dynamics and also. even even hierarchies like which sometimes are in place yeah um, and like individual resourcefulness and um, ability to like come up with new solutions or ideas when needed yeah and, and in the best cases collaboration is like wonderful yeah <laughs> like it, it, it I think it drives you further or, or can drive you further and it, it gives you different ideas it's like a you you play ping pong <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, with, with, with another person not against a mirror or brick wall uh, <laughs> I mean it's, it's a it's a double edged sword that working alone is is very important for me as I work with like strange things and unknown things that I don't have to know even myself and I, I love it but at the same time it's can be very very scary because there's no one to share things with and I think not reflect. It can be difficult for me to finish a project sometimes if no one is waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> like if I don't know the context, if I don't know the audience or like the timeline if someone else is like dependent on this, then I can start a lot of things but I might never finish them because they don't have a purpose somehow. Yeah. If they're just for me uh, it's easier to like push them aside or forget about them. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm working with someone, or at least if someone is like waiting for it, then I know where it fits into the world, and yeah. I also know that I need to present it at a specific time yeah. to a specific audience. And, and especially with things that you can like do a lot of variation with, like you don't have a good clue when it should. When is it done? Like, yes. like, <laughs> when, oh, is done? when it when it starts um, to not get better but worse. Like. Yeah, it, and this is the same for any type of artist. Like people who make music do this a lot. When is a track done? Yeah. Like oof, at one point people just start removing things they have been adding and yeah, yeah. And then there, there there are always these legendary stories of like everything was recorded on one take. Like, without any consideration whatsoever like completely subconscious stuff which I think is the in a way interesting thing in art that um, everything doesn't have to be like very rational or very planned or no, it's, conscious it's really interesting this like a lot of art production is just like making decisions making choices because there are no rules and it could go in any direction but you do need to limit something and frame it for it to be a thing yeah. somehow and so this process there's so much of this art stuff that is mind games that is literally just like making intuitive decisions yes. and based on some like internal preference to aesthetics or what feels right or something speaks to you you can call it many things or something very practical <laughs> or something very practical or based on like your possibilities or but it's I had this interesting talk yesterday um, with my thesis supervisor Arne Kallinen who is yeah. a professor in the theater yeah. academy 
about this process that and they said something like yeah for them a lot of this process is not actually them making the decision it is the the material is like somehow showing itself to them and so the decisions are kind of like just becoming apparent if they observe closely enough if they are like paying enough attention and are open enough to the process then like these decisions will just like show themselves and become clear and so it's not actually them controlling the material or the narrative it's more um like seeing them as they are and seeing their truth in situation. This is very abstract maybe sounding but but it is like how do you know when something is like you know good or bad or you know like a painter or working with that how do you know if something is right or wrong or like or ready, or ready? Or how do you know if it's good art and really there is no there is no real answer it's just it's a feeling somehow it's like why these colors? I don't know because when I looked at them, they made sense. Or yeah, and then then you can like um, you can you can kind of think of things ahead, but then you can do as you kind of feel the correct way, and then mm-hmm. think afterwards like why why have I chosen to do this, or why why did the material show me this well, way? You can have very tight conceptual rules and dogmas that you are following and the idea is carrying the whole process like your rules were these did the rules come while you were working with it or did you make the rules and then like start working on them i was i was about to say that i I related this what what the professor said that that things will present themselves or or by themselves like Hmm. like in this part of my rules has been that i don't want to or I shouldn't modify the materials like as, oh, they, so as, as they are objects I don't want to like so you never bend them at all for instance uh, let's say I, I have drilled holes every artwork okay. has, has that, that much destruction that there are drilled holes in the, in the objects and then yes uh, there are apparently let's say 10 to 15 hammer strikes applied in this whole exhibition to the materials and then if, okay. if the materials have been like very crude, I might have been corrected, correcting them with my hands. But for me, it has been very important to not change them into raw materials. You know, to, to tear them apart, to mm-hmm. cut them, to, to reform them too much. It's, I want to keep them like as they have existed before, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, or but give them a new identity and a new purpose. Yeah, and, and it's I think it's the interesting thing that you can you can like recognize or speculate upon uh, what is their original purpose and why why they have stopped serving that, that purpose mm. if they ever have uh, yeah and also for me of some of the objects i don't know the original purpose and so what about them now like do they belong together or do you like sell them or uh, everything is up for sale okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's but that's hard. not obvious. I, I never really made oh, yeah. art for sale. I would never, like, I don't know, I've never considered selling a light sculpture. I've made yeah, it for like, a specific context, place, uh, purpose, and then, like, then I don't you know. Just store it somewhere. Yeah, yes, yes, uh, it or... yeah you're right, it's, it's not obvious, but <laughs> uh, yeah, everything is up for sale. I haven't, like, put up a public pricing on them because I want to, like, be in contact with people 
who are interested in buying it. Also, light art is a little bit of a tricky medium. It's very, very so tricky. To light start. art and sound art are not easy mediums to be commercial with because no one really has the space or the situation for them in their homes. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're talking about like collections and museums and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. But it's a very trivial thing with uh, this kind of, you could say, new media or, or even media art. It's light or sound. I mean, but these could function as aesthetic lamps and hope, but they yes. would still need to have quite a dark room to function. Yeah, yeah. it's like a nightlight kind of. It's like a very pretty nightlight. Yes, yeah. Nice. Uh, and, and yeah, it's yeah, it has been a secret, but it's not more as a secret that these are artworks that I have created partly with the mindset that what would be the light art piece that people could. Yeah, because the scale is small enough that you could install it in a residential setting. Yeah, and also the, the way they are installed is like, you could do, uh, repeat this at home. Mm-hmm. And I'm also like, if somebody wants to buy some, I, I will like offer my service to come and... Custom made. You know, custom custom made installation. Mm-hmm. Also because you can, you can um, the works itself are a bit modular, you can, you can change them a bit um, to suit better the kind of mm. space you want them in. You can you can adjust a bit the size and brightness of the light and um, not the forms really but the, since everything is, is based on reflection and, and if the works are created in a modular way you can adjust the distances inside the work and mm. so you can sweep them. Yes and that's the hardest part. And that, that relates to when is it ready because there's endless tweaking or not endless but uh, multitudes of tweaking possibilities and then everything, every possibility is interesting mm-hmm. and then you have to somehow and when it's when it's an analog thing, it's not a digital thing, you cannot make versions like by saving, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a quick save on this one and then I'm going to try something else because you change the whole work when you're working in with the physical matter. Yeah, like so when you are doing like all the stage lighting that we're talking about, basically a lot of it is just like computer software. Yeah. Unless it's super old gear, then there's no computers, yeah, but yeah. it's still programming. So it's just a lot of like, when I push this fader, this will happen. And you decided before the show, you can program on the fly while you're performing, yeah. but it's best, like usually you pre-program and then you have these tools to work with, but they're flexible. And of course, working with light as a sculptural medium yeah. that you fix on the wall with holes and stuff is different. Yeah, and, and, and the kind of controllability of light, I don't know if that's a word, but you can, um, light, light is like one of the most, I think, let's say, epic things there are. <laughs> if you think of the, the physical proportions or the qualities of light, and when you work with light and reflection, you can, for example, stop the light. Like, it, you cannot cut it in the air, even though there are rumors of these uh, Slavic uh, light scissors that are always missing when you need them. Like if you want to stop a light on the stage, you can cut it with the scissors. Wait, is that a thing? No, that, that, that is a joke. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, but, but the thing is that light is, light is somehow like super powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knows that the speed of light is something that our universe kind of <laughs> depends upon. In a way, um, and and to work with this, like it always always amazes me that I I create objects that shine like photos out of the 
Like I am this, I am this person that has the power to produce light through this art. And to shape it. And to shape it. And, yeah. and, and then again, the light is very stubborn. Like there are limits in how I can control it. And that's the beautiful part of it. That I don't know what I'm doing really when I'm working with these sculptures. It's it's very like a random chance-based thing. I mean, obviously, yes, I can speculate. I can I can make hypotheses on on what would possibly happen when I combine these things. But it's always the experiment that leads leads the um, work. Yeah, and also, I mean. Mm, basically, we don't see the light, we see the reflection of light, right? Like, that yeah. is always how it is. We can't actually see just the light waves in the air. The yeah. only thing we can see is how the light is um, being bounced back. Like, the abido is the technical term, I think, which is a surface's like light bouncing quality. Yeah. So, a white surface has a higher abido than a black surface, which is why it seems shinier or brighter when the light is hitting it is because more of the light waves are being bounced back into your face and with the black it kind of swallows the waves more yeah, it absorbs yeah so um, like what we are actually working with is maybe not so much the light but it is like uh, the reflective quality of the environment that the light is in and that we can control to some extent yeah, in, in this case, I think yes. Um, but also, it's with colors, which also like mm. are part of light, or colors are yeah, do you because have, of light. Uh, how do you decide what colors to work with? Like, do you have a palette you stick to, or do you have to intuitive preferences, or do you um, have a rule? Well, well, there are some rules. Like uh, in the in the one that there's the three artworks that share the same palette, mm -hmm. which was an established rule for these three artworks. Um, I cannot really comment on how this rule became into existence. It's it's an intuitive thing. Mm -hmm. but, but what about uh, like stage lights? Do you have any like uh, internal rules for how to work with colors there? No, I think that's that's always like it depends on the on the work. Um, mm -hmm. Let's say in, in, in the context of music, then there is this kind of synesthetic proportion to it. Like you kind of have the feeling that not being square. Yeah, I mean, I always just have some contrast colors that I know I like together. Yeah. But I kind of a little bit have a stage rule that um, maximum three colors at a time. Um, preferably not more than. Two, but for instance, then I could use different shades of blue or turquoise, like blue and turquoise and red, for instance, would be a wonderful color combination. But like more than that, like if you throw yellow or uh, something into that bunch, it starts becoming like circus look for me. So I would do it for reggae, for Balkan swing, for ska, for these like more uh, orchestral circus feeling things. But I would prefer not to. <laughs> but but it also depends on like the intensities and, and the proportions really. Like if you imagine mm -hmm. this same color palette in a painting, yeah. Why would you not be able to actually use these colors? Yeah, at the same time? I guess. But it's, then it's about composition. On a stage, it just takes up so much of the space. It dominates yeah. somehow. And so that's again the kind of wild nature of light that you cannot really like use it. Maybe in, in, in so limited ways. Like you, you would want to maybe draw a line, 
Yeah. Like a sharp line of yellow. We which, which with a spot. Yes, but, but it also reflects out of something when it hits something. If you have a lot of smoke or haze in the room <laughs> and you use a really narrow spot, yes. you can make lines yes. on but, the stage. But not, not in the same way as like, uh, if like drawing it with a pencil. No, obviously not. And there's also this idea, at least I learned that on stage, if something does not have a real purpose or a real, if it doesn't actually make anything real happen, it's kind of just noise, it's visual noise, and then you should cut it. Because light is like spilling and bleeding, and so it's any light source will have a spill on the stage, and so it will take away the darkness that some other lamp needs yeah. to have an effect. So if something doesn't really do anything, it's just visual noise, and it's better to leave it out. Yeah. Um, because you want to avoid spill, you want the light where you want it, you don't want all this like accidental light happening around it. Yeah, yeah. And, and usually I think when, when you see a good lighting design, also in, in like uh, stage like theater contexts or performance contexts, mm -hmm. context, um, some of the qualities of a good lighting design is that it's controlled, like it's, it's um, yeah, it's well made in that sense. Also, dynamics are important because, like for instance, talking about blinking or strobing, everyone has been to a rave or a concert where suddenly the strobe, like really fast flashing, comes on, and it can be so powerful. Like, whoa, it can raise the roof of the situation. But not if you do it for half an hour straight, then yeah, people I mean, just like get blind. And in the wrong places. And in the wrong places, like. Um, but if, like, if you use it as an effect tool for the right moments, it can be so powerful. But if you misuse it, it loses its power. And also, yes, obviously in the wrong places. I mean, one time I was doing lights for this rock band, and then it was really wild. And so I was blinking a lot, flashing a lot. Uh, and then suddenly I was like, what was happening? Like, the, the drummer seemed to lose his heat and I thought oh no did I blink and flash out of rhythm did I like make him lose his oh, okay. the, I, I thought maybe I had made him lose his beat because it also happens with the symbols like the metal parts of the drums yeah. that, that sometimes the light reflects and people can get blinded and so I was like oh no but then after the concert me and the, uh, the sound technician we were doing the changeover which is what it's called between bands when you have to change some of the gear. And we realized the drummer had puked on the snare drum. <laughs> uh, so this concert venue was in this place called Christiania in Copenhagen. There's a lot of meat uh, market there. So people, the bands often get very drunk before yeah. the show, but also they used to get really high because they were in a place where they could buy meat. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So he had been too drunk and high, I guess, <laughs> and he had like needed to puke, but in the proper metal drummer he was, he just kept playing. So he lost his beat for like a moment, but he just kept playing with this like puke all over the drum. It was nasty, man. But it was not my fault. <laughs> you were in you, you had total control over yeah, your that was really a rock and roll. <laughs> but, but also like about, about dynamics in, in light, and let's also say sound. Um, sometimes you, or Oftentimes you witness like designs or, or performances or whatever where very extreme manners of, of dynamic light or dynamic sound is used like mm. and to, to dig up a reaction from, from the audience. Like 
okay, we need to boost this scene somehow. Well, let's add super fucking loud, loud noise. Sorry for my French. No, no, it's a passing podcast. You can say what you want. <laughs> Which is like, yes, obviously I'm going to react to that as an audience member if my ears bleed or, <laughs> like, or, or like if my eyes bleed. Sometimes I have blinded the audience just a little bit. Yes, not for too long, I mean, but I, mean, I do. I am not the saint. I have done it sometimes. <laughs> it's good to like get them out their seats. Yes, but, but it's... It should be a matter of like consideration. Like, yeah, could, it should not be unpleasant to yeah, view the show. There are like different levels of dynamics, not just like 100 and 0. Uh, which is like, if you think of again this exhibition, the works, they are quite, I'd say, mellow in a, in a way. I mean, it's dark, but when you spend enough time in here, it's really not dark. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I was just about to say that in, in 10 minutes or so. These become actually relatively bright. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and that's that's one thing that I kind of miss in, in some of the um, spaces with audience, <laughs> be it performance or, or with uh, with concert. That um, the contrasts might be a bit too big, which I think takes away from the imagination of the piece. I mean, it's a balance because, of course, it's also like if you never have a dark moment then you won't actually realize how much light is on when the light is on you do need like yeah. this but of course like you're right um if it all the time fluctuates between minimum and maximum you get a bit exhausted also because sensorically yeah. you have to you subconsciously i guess you try to calibrate like all the time as yeah. when you take in all this sensory information and so if the changes too rapid and too large all the time, then I think as an audience your brain gets exhausted because the ears are trying to adapt and compensate and your eyes are like all the time, you know, it's like going into the dark cellar, going out into the sunshine with no sunglasses. If you keep doing that back and forth, whoa, your eyes get tired. I'm kind of of like, I haven't actually spent so much time in these dark spaces as I have now, so I'm kind of waiting how it feels to go like to the other room where where there is light or even outside. But I mean it's such dark wet winter now, it was snowing in the morning but now it's already melting again so maybe it will be wonderful for us to feel like it's really bright still. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's afternoon the sun's already going down. Yeah. Yeah. But then again because there is like artificial light that is also like core yeah. light. I, I don't feel like this is making me sleepy or anything. It no. might also be because I've been having coffee here. But, uh. <laughs> Do you feel though that after working a lot with light and the concert shows and stuff, has it like affected your eyes? Hmm. Because I have definitely destroyed my eyes a little bit, I'm quite sure. Um, you accidentally look into a lot of really bright, bright lamps when you work with stage yeah. lamps. It's really hard to avoid, just like people working with sound. It's really hard to yeah. not damage your ears, um, even when you are careful and take precautions. It's like it's kind of just you cannot avoid it completely. Yeah, because the the industry is chaotic as well. Um, yeah, you accidentally turn on the lamp while it's facing you. Yeah, and, you know, it's like you are exposed, like not for a concert yeah. each month, like the normal concert goer, but maybe for like for a week or. Yeah, so. and, and some some beautiful engineer designed some of these fixtures so that when you plug them in, uh, the thing that the goes to the full yeah, it goes first to the full yes. oh, to confirm that yes, 
glide and fall down. Right? And you have to be careful not to fall. And when you are holding a super heavy lamp in your arms at the same time, yeah, I know what you mean. Well, <laughs> back to the question. Um, I am not sure. Like, yes, sometimes when you work with, like, let's say, you program a specific stroke light for too many hours. <laughs> Then when you go to sleep, you notice that, yes, the strobe light is actually now inside my eyes mm, for, yeah. for a good while. Um, yeah, just like sound can take a while to leave your ears. Yeah, yeah, but like about permanent damage, um, I wouldn't say so. I think I have like pretty good eyesight still. Mm. Uh, but, well, how would you notice things? I just, I'm very light sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Very light sensitive, like um, the sunshine in the morning or something can be like uh, very overwhelming for me. Actually, I when I was doing not so much anymore, maybe or maybe I don't know. But when I was doing a lot of like this concert light work, it was really strong for me. My ex partner used to be very sweet. He would. Um, bring me coffee and sunglasses yeah. in bed in the morning <laughs> so I could put on sunglasses before leaving the dark bedroom because otherwise I was like almost blind going into yeah. the living room where the sun was shining. <laughs> my, my mother used to do, do that when I was uh, a kid and I wanted to like watch cartoons in the early morning and you know you, your eyes hadn't adapted yet to the like bright TV so for a while you could watch the TV through sunglasses which yeah, exactly. So, so in this way, I think people do that if they're like very hungover. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's similar. Um, <laughs> yes, it flows us through life. But I don't know. It might also just be my my brain that is like I can also be very sound sensitive. But yeah, so it's like. And I think I, yes, I, I agree that I have noticed becoming I think more sensitive to sound. Mm. Like uh, after working with sound, uh, yeah, and, and environments with sound uh, mm. after after actually listening more. Mm. So I think it's it's the same with with uh, vision that if you work with your eyes and you you become analytical with your like, visual perception. Yeah, so let's say you have like bigger dynamic range, maybe, mm. and and it's, it's it's you can say that. Yes, people are like dominated by their eyesight, by their vision, sense of vision. But people who really like know how to look at things, know how to see. Not so many people are like very conscious of of doing this. Well, at least like we have practiced looking at things yeah. a lot. Yeah. Actually, it's a theory of mine. Is, um, so in art academies, like there's this tendency to artists being very sensitive, like emotionally sensitive, mm-hmm. and um, and then there's this trope of like, well, artists are just like very sensitive uh, beings or very fragile emotionally. But I think it's actually more this thing that we spend so much of our life practicing how to sense yes. the world. You know, how observing with your whole body and like sensing with all of your instruments and and like emotionally sensing your surroundings and like considering how what everything means and looking at stuff and listening, yeah. you know. And, and connecting these senses to something. And then you become more sensitive, obviously, <laughs> yes. because you are practicing your senses. You are like rehearsing with them all the time and you're yeah. really fine-tuning them to an insane degree sometimes. It's, it's a weird form of research. It's like 
this is a kind of research that we all do so that we can present some wonderful product to the world. Yeah, yeah. Because if everyone was doing this, everything would be very inefficient. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's true as well. But um, about steam, for example, um, there was just some talks uh, in, in the Society of, of Light Art that um, if you look at, for example, cityscape, mm. the usage of light is very, very reckless. Like, let's say, um, criminal even, <laughs> in, in, in okay. a way. Like, have you seen any um, of the video walls with advertisements? Ah, uh, yeah. Have you seen any street lights? Mm, yeah, okay, uh, I know what you mean. Have you seen, like, car lights? As a child, I used to love lying in the back of my, uh, the, on the back seat of my parents' car, or sitting and, like, Denmark is also quite dark a lot of the year, so just just look at all the to kind of squeeze my eyes so they were almost closed and so that all the lights would like you yeah. know expand even more to just yeah. drive around town and, and look at all the city lights. But you are right, they're even more now because yeah. now there are like LEDs and video walls everywhere. Yeah, mostly it's it's for commercial reasons mm -hmm. uh, and and for stupid information. <laughs> like there are many many places in. For example, in Helsinki, that are way too brightly lit mm. for no reason whatsoever. And there is actually quite a lot of animal wildlife here, yeah. so it's. But the street lamps here are yellow in many places, like very orange yellow. Yes. And I have heard Still. that it's because it's better for the animals. No, that's not true. Really? I think the core reason is that it's the sodium sodium light sodium lamp that has been developed. Uh, pretty well before LED, and I think okay. if my memory serves well, by by 2010s, like 2010, mm -hmm. still the sodium lamps were more energy efficient than uh, LEDs. But now LEDs have gone. Out. So they're changing them. Yeah, if you if you pull up a new street, like it's definitely going to be white, and it's going to be. Because it was so trippy for me here when moving here that in the winter there's so much snow, so it's super dark the whole day, but there's so much snow and then these super strong street lights and this warm yellow orange. So if I would go outside at night to have a smoke when I was still smoking, I felt like I was sitting in the sunshine. It was really weird. Like oh, I don't say it's a very weird way of sunshine because it's the sodium orange light is the color spectrum of it is very very thin. Mm -hmm. It only has these orange wavelengths, and you can do an experiment that we did in, in the department of lighting design in the first year of, of the academy. That if you stay in a space, let's say of this size that we are sitting now in, which is uh, I don't know how many square meters, um, let's say three, three times four meters or something, yeah, maybe 19 um, or something. Yeah. Uh, if you have only a sodium light there and you spend time. Let's say a couple of minutes, ten minutes, everything changes into grey. You cannot per perceive color anymore. Really? And, and this is this is the thing with light and color that you only see relations. Is it like the junkie light where you can't see your veins? Uh, it's a bit different thing, but uh, if you only see monochromatic, yeah. just uh, what color? Yes, monochromatic. Yeah. So there, there's not many different wavelengths to produce different colors. Um, then suddenly you, it doesn't really matter anymore. You become blind to that color. Yeah, yeah. That's because you only see the colors only exist, or more or less exist only in, in relation to each other. 
Zelden. I, I grew up in the red light district of Copenhagen, so there in like the, the library, light. for instance in the library, I remember in the toilet there was this orange-yellow light, because yeah. then you couldn't see your veins, so the junkies couldn't go yeah. and uh, do yeah. their business in the public yeah. toilet. Yeah, we had a so it's, it's very, very different to sunlight, because sunlight has, instead, all the, has all the, the, the whole spectrum. Like uh, when you look into a prism, like these yeah. little uh, glass prisms, and then you can see the rainbow. Like this yeah. is because the light, the sunlight is split up so that you can see the colors separated. Yeah, so it contains all the wavelengths mm. that make up all these beautiful colors. And then LED again, uh, which is the light source that I'm using in this exhibition, it, it's also very monochromatic. Uh, mm. if, if you look at the blue there, it's it's a clean blue. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very like fantastical blue, so to say. I think. Mm. Like it's it's a blue that really doesn't exist in, in, in the sense you cannot imagine things that are blue like that. Also, because, yeah, because we only perceive the very very blue. Um, mm. But then, like in case of uh, there are white LEDs which actually derive from blue LED. But usually, the white LEDs are just all the colors at one time, right? Uh, white LEDs have a broader spectrum, yes, they are not monochromatic, but they still lack some of them. Um, and then if, if you want a very, very good quality LED light, then it has to have multiple different LEDs in it to, mm. to, to produce a good color spectrum. Yeah. Let's say you want to have one that has cool white and warm white, if you want white light. Yeah. So Otherwise the colors will look very strange. Mm, yeah, like, so with lamps we talk about RGB color scales, which is red, green, blue, but then you can also get these LED lamps that has like amber and a specific purple that almost functions as a black light and, yes. and, and true white, like you say. Yeah. But it is a thing that if you take um, the primary colors uh, and like a light of each primary color and, and just like mix them, then you can write. It's very weird. Yes, um, but that's not like truly white. It's no, it's being perceived as white. Yeah, you can, you can actually see it in this um, one that has two LEDs. One of them is warm white, and one of them is cool white. And you can see the areas where they mix, where they overlap. It becomes this kind of, um, let's say, true white or natural white. But it's also it's not very clear because when the two lights overlap, it also becomes brighter. So it's different. It's difficult to really. But also, we don't have red here, right? No. So you would need blue, yellow, and red for having all the primary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in the, in the RGB theory, yes. Yeah. Um, but in, in this case, it's just a different uh, uh, color temperature of white, which is then another mm, yeah. high kind of scientific term. Yeah, I very much liked. With the stages to mix warm and cold whites. Yeah. Oof, I think this is very beautiful. Yes, that's that's also like this is a, a, like the motivation in this work that after working with the so-called fantastical blue, the very fantastical. <laughs> 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 it's funny because like I, for instance, used to work with like jazz purple. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I said, I said, I said this is like a out of this world blue. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after working like three times in a row with it, because they are in chronological order, mm. I kind of wanted to do something else and maybe 
something with not so strong colors. Mm. Uh, and then I moved on to this cool and warm contrast. That yeah, I used to do a lot of like rainbow light sculptures and stuff. And then after a while, I look back at what I've done and I go, oh, what was this rainbow trip that I was on? Why did I want to use all the colors? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's like, if you think, if, if, let's list things that I'm pissed off. <laughs> like 16.7 million colors that you can produce, produce with 8-bit RGB LED thing, mm. um, which is one thing that I, when I said, um, there are light art festivals, yes, which are like a beautiful thing, they, they really bring people together, but it's a really, really strong trend in these events that there are these RGB artworks that usually contain all these 16.7 million colors, which, I which none of them are good colors. <laughs> Yes, you're you're able to get 16.7 million colors out of it. They're all bad. All bad, <laughs> except maybe the pure red, pure blue, mm. uh, pure green. Yeah. The pure green is not my favorite, no. But, <laughs> but I mean, I have even done it with color gels, and that has been me cutting and taping and using mm-hmm. color gels, and still deciding to have a rainbow. Yeah. Red. <laughs> because all the colors are great. Yeah. But, but actually, a lot of those are really great. Yes, I yes. like working with with gels. This yeah, is what yeah. you use in stages in the old days before LEDs. You had all these like actual light bulbs, and to change the color, you physically put these like filters, these plastic gels in front of them. That's that's another thing that actually take, took me a long time to really understand that it's called a filter. Yeah. Because it filters out some other some color. other colors ah, to yeah. only let let through the color you want. Um, which is like in LED, you mix the color by adding more of different colors. Yeah, and if you add too many, then it turns into white. Yeah, yeah. So, so with this kind of, it's called uh, this is with LED, it's additive color mixing. So you add until it gets brighter and, and whiter. And with gels, it's uh, deductive. Deductive, yeah. yeah. So you could take something away to only keep the one that you want. That is very interesting. That is, and it's very, very like philosophically different way of. Um, Working with color, mm. and yeah, and you can also employ this with paints, I guess. Actually, my first um, <coughs> way into working with light as a sorry, sorry, I have to convert because it's it's about terminology. It's not deductive; it's subtract. Subtractive. Subtractive. Yeah, you use the same terms uh, when you can use it about sculpture. So if you have a piece of clay, yeah. there's additive sculpture where you keep adding until you have the face you like, or there's subtractive uh, sculpture where you keep taking away pieces of the clay until you have the shape that you want. Yes. So you, you use the same term in many art things. Yeah, it's good to correct yourself. Yes, yes. But like, yeah, actually my first, I think the first thing I did as a light artist and my whole accidental like intro to this, I think even before I did concert lights, or maybe at the same, almost the same time, is um, that I saw this like open call kind of that there was a light art festival or like a harbor festival with a lot of stuff happening. And then they had tried to curate this one light artist, but he didn't have time to make the work. Yeah. But he had said if someone wants to make it, they can borrow my fixtures. Oh, a fixture okay. is the technical term we use for lamps. Yeah. Um, so like someone can borrow all my lamps if they want to make it work and I said like I can do that yeah. and these uh, curators these young girls who had gotten this gig they were like have you done anything before I said no 
but I'm very good at trying out stuff. I'm a quick learner. So basically, I just said, like, yeah, I will do it. And they said, like, okay, cool. I don't know. Somehow, sometimes it just happens like this. You sell yourself, and like people believe it. Um, and then I met with this light artist who had worked a lot with lights and things, but a lot with all these tube lights. And that was what I was going to use because he had all these tube lights and these. Uh, weatherproof cases, so you yeah. could like use them outside, and they could be fixed to things, and with like uh, you could drill them into stuff with these um, hangers and things. So he just gave me twenty-seven these tube light uh, things, yeah. and then he's just like said, "Go wild," and I'm like, "But you don't know me, and you're just giving me this whole truckload of lights." And he was like, "Yeah, even if a few break, like it's fine, it will happen." Yeah. And I said, "But I have never worked with." Light and electricity before he said, mm, Remember to check if it's turned on before you cut a wire. Um, and anything outside the wall you can do yourself, anything inside the wall, a uh, licensed electrician needs to do. Yeah. Um, and this was it. And then he just said, Here you go. And in the end, I never actually did this Harper Festival because the whole production was like, mm, it was unrealistic, my own plan, but also how it was running was. I ended up stepping down from it. But he let me keep these lamps for like a year or something. So I built all these other sculptures for other festivals and events. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Shout out to Hans Eric Masnick, Masnick Copenhagen. You trusted me with all your lamps and it turned me into a light sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's accidental. Yeah, well, well, give the kid a chunk of clay and they will become sculpture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, all of these like good rules about things like you also just like sometimes you're not fortunate enough for someone to teach you yeah. how to make good light, or sometimes you just have to try it out, and then you accidentally build like a rainbow mountain and use it a few times, and then later you realize like it was cool to build a light mountain. Maybe it doesn't need to be rainbow color next time. <laughs> Maybe I can decide. Something and not have everything. But yeah, exactly. Like, you, you need to, I think, like, being able or being able to decide upon some limitations or, or just like, you know, find yourself from the midst of limitations. It's a very fruitful thing. So. It's part of the process. Yeah, like, like, that's why I made up these rules in this exhibition. Mm. I am kind of allowed to do certain things in certain artwork and then I can change the limitations, change mm. the rules and break them. But, Sometimes it also helps with uh, your creativity that you have a limit. Like sometimes yeah. if it's if you do anything, it's like mm -hmm. super. Uh, what is the word? Uh, no, I'm, my English is escaping me. It's like it's scary. That's yeah. not the word I was looking for, but it's um, but something similar. Like if if it's totally open and if you could just do anything, like. I don't know, it's overwhelming. Yeah, it kind of, you become like dwarfed in a way. That yeah, so sometimes if it's like you can do something within this very little framework or something, or with these materials or with these rules, then you can start, you have a starting point for yeah. your brain to work. And, and also like, um, in regards again to when is a piece complete or, or when is it ready, I think it helps um, when you think at, um, about uh, an exhibition. 
if you're only like are creating a single artwork, then I think it's more stressful to actually try to create always this kind of magnum opus, this kind of very mm. magnificent, masterful art piece that will live on for centuries. But the context of an exhibition can also be, and, and maybe should be, even if it's a solo exhibition, at least that it also like um, presents the reader this kind of mentality and, and the way of working and the process. Mm. Uh, so it's not about maybe even having a really complete artwork, but it's it's showing what's going on in the mind of the maker mm. somehow. And, and I think it's also like, this is also something that I have been figuring out quite lately, that some or most of the very classical art pieces that are like world-known masterpieces are also parts of series and also variations. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you woke up one day and thought, maybe I'll paint a painting and it will like live out through history. Yes, I will make my next <laughs> painting today and I will only make a single one. And this is this will be the one that I will be remembering. There can be like tens or hundreds of copies or variations of this work. And I some of them just survive mm. and, and our, or some of them becomes the best. Yes. So, and it's also like when you do an exhibition and you obviously might as, as the maker have an favorite or have an idea that this might be the best one or this is something that people might want to buy. But Maybe it's not. You're usually very wrong. It's, it's very easy to be completely wrong about it. So something that you are the most least interested in. But with. you develop weird parental relationships with yes. the things you create, which yeah. is why I don't think I could sell a unique piece. I don't know how I would feel with parting with it. I would rather disassemble it and kill it in this way. I think that's like split it up from a collection or I don't yeah. know. It's and also like the things that have been happening while making an art piece can give meaning, a very secret emotional meaning to the artist that is not available for Bloods, like, like, when and tears yeah. and swearing yeah. and parties while you were creating. Like, like for example the, the one that you mentioned is your favorite, the Uroboros one or the, or the lizard I was uh, here is like it, it does have very um, different kind of status for me because it was really created at the eleventh hour, <laughs> so to say, in, in a very. Also, I was like not in a very good place because I had hurt my hand uh, the day before and I was oh, no. basically unable to work properly. But you strong, you strong. Didn't want more yes, I, I didn't want. I needed one more. Oh, okay. Uh, and not in the way that I had already put up the the ones before it, but I just had the feeling that. Uh, it's not complete yet. Yes, it needs mm. something more and, and, and something different. So I was like, it was really, uh, I needed some willpower to be able to, uh, and, and to complete it, that was the... I have worked sometimes to like blisters on my hands, and yeah. it's real, like it's, uh, sometimes you have like decided on a scale or scope or something, and you just have to finish. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the real cliche, which I don't really agree with is that yeah, real art is, is like it springs from suffering or, or it's, it's based on suffering. I, I don't think it's like that. I have, I have to admit that the real art comes from curiosity and you might be so curious that you end up um, being not too healthy. <laughs> or yeah, to, to, you're so curious that it becomes a bit hurtful. You become so, so. a little bit uh, caught up. Yeah, carry your mind. Yeah. <laughs> you might bleed, you might sweat. Forget other uh, things. Yes, yeah. you 
forget to sleep, you forget to contact your friends, you forget to go to your <laughs> precious hobbies, you forget to make a living out of this uh, profession, and uh, yeah. you, you forget to um, socialize and whatnot. But at least you are like being occupied. So I have worked so much sometimes, like that I or writing or something that I forgot to turn on the lights or go to the toilet or drink water or anything. Yeah. But I might also have like this ADHD brain that hyperfocuses. I don't know. I have a suspicion. But so I have definitely been in these situations where like I didn't eat all day, but I also didn't pee. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you also haven't drank any water, so. Exactly. You're in a perfect balance. Just writing more than something or editing video like nonstop. And then how many hours was that? Oh, ten hours of not looking oh, yeah. up from the computer. And wow. that, my my experience, and, and this is not healthy. Um, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. But um, it's very easy to do like ten plus hours by yourself mm. because it's nothing is like no one tells you what to do. But let's say if you are being employed by someone and they tell you to uh, not leave at the 8 hour but to stay until you have been working for the 11 hours, that, that really sucks. Like it's not motivating unless it's really interesting and then it becomes personal for you. But working on your own art project, it's, it's always personal. Even though sometimes you might feel that you're not actually like actively being in charge, but you were just like. I mean, it's just difficult to be your own boss because you set the bar yourself. And yeah. So how high should I set it? When is it good enough? Like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, sometimes you, you you have this experience that you are kind of just uh, witnessing the, the the birth of a, of a piece and not actively making yourself like. It just happens. Like you would have decided not to make this last piece because you had hurt your hand and it was the last hour. And yeah. But then you would have maybe been sore about it the whole time. Yeah. Here, yeah. it would have annoyed the shit out of you while this exhibition was happening that something was missing. Yeah. And I, I have been toying with the idea of like, do I have to like an art piece that I'm creating myself to be able to create it, or is it possible that I am just kind of serving the idea? Even though you don't like it. Yeah, like, like I, I, am, I am a servant to the idea. That might be a stupid and bad idea. Very interesting thought. Because I, I, I like to think that theoretically it's possible that I am just, you know, a worker in the world of ideas that somehow manipulates me. But eventually I, I end up liking most of my pieces anyway. Um, so, because I'm curious and curiosity, I think, is you are being drawn to something and you're being drawn to something that you're you become curious about. Yeah. And it's it's this kind of intuition that leads you in, in these ideas. I mean, I think often there is a level of love-hate ambiguity yeah. you have with the things you make yourself and because they are like a lot of projection of your own things and then also you get into these imposter phases where like is it good? Like am I good? Why why did I make this? Does it have meaning like yeah, and it's like when I when I like present these pieces, when I put them on display, do I have to think that these are like like what do people think when they come in? Do do they think that oh yeah, has been like so into these pieces, like <laughs> well, he makes so many of them. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like it's like thinking that this is the greatest art. She must love this. Yeah, or or, or because sometimes I feel like it's more like 
well, these things just happen to start existing. And Maybe it's also just at one point you can spend so much time and make these decisions that there is no going back. Like yeah. that you just have to yeah. also finish the project, you yeah. have to like allow it to live because yeah. it's just far deep into it and like there's no like changing it at that point. No, totally. <laughs> no, exactly. yeah. uh, but, but it's also like in the opening of this exhibition we were talking with some colleagues about this that uh, it's always your your you're at a mystery when, when you put or on display at an exhibition. It's always an unknown thing. Nobody knows, not, not the artist who has worked months or years or something, they don't know how it is when it's like put on display. It's, no, you it's, never know. And even it can be different you, every time yeah. in all the different spaces and in relation to the other things that are happening there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, like it, it somehow changes when it like becomes the real deal. Mm. Uh, you can try this kind of, you know, you can do a mock-up installation in your in your workspace or whatever, or or even like take it away from your workspace and try out it a bit and invite someone to see it, but it's never the same. As, as in the real scenario, um, which is again like something that kind of leads me to the idea that you don't really have to uh, fully comprehend everything before deciding on something or or trying stuff. I mean, the um, longer time you have for installation of a, an exhibition or work, the more fortunate you are because the more you can work in the space, yeah. like um, the better. If you have to completely come finish something like this glass wall I built, the yeah. second time I built it was in Sibylle, in this village where I was running this residency. Yeah. I built it in the residency over like three nights or something. Mm. And then I had to transport it to the local library. So I built it on a piece of like wood or like this um, plate, wooden plate. Mm. And then we carried it out the house, down the stairs, into the back of a van. And I was sitting in the back of the van and holding it with glass wall, and then we carried it into the library and then carefully carrying it off this like wooden board that it was on, and then it could be on the floor because the first time I built it in the space, yeah. but that was not the possibility in the library. They were like, "So how long do you need to install? Like three hours?" And we were like, "Well, okay." Oh, I think we have some oh. visitors. Hello. Hello. Snow, like that's really interesting. Yeah, but I think we are 
I mean, we have talked for like two hours. It's yes. a really long one. It's not often that they're this long, but it's a good talk. But I think we are almost done. Yeah. So let's just... Um, are you going to continue also working for for um, Flash as a curator, or was that a one-time thing? Uh, I just yesterday became part of this um, exhibition work group in, in Flash that uh, mainly monitors and facilitates the um, the ways Flash as an association uh, works with um, exhibitions. Like okay. I, I'm, I'm not now actively a creator, or but uh, we are working on a couple of, of uh, exhibition possibilities and, and, and the upcoming biennial and stuff like that. So, so what do you say if I become a member of Flash? Is that a thing? Yes. What do I gain? What is the benefit? You, you gain the network of, of uh, artists. Uh, you gain the support of the association. Uh, there are sometimes some like uh, education courses and workshops and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, you meet people. Then you also like I think you get the best knowledge uh, of the upcoming uh, open calls stuff like that. Uh, Flash also runs this thing called Bluff, which is best of light art in Finland, uh, which is a data database of, of light art works made by artists uh, from Finland or working in Finland, which is like a it's a history, it's a catalog, it's this kind of library really for for both works that are still available to to create or book to or or. But also, it give, uh, it's it's like a, I think in in, in uh, do you know this thing called Kuvata de Matrikkeli? No. Uh, it's it's a kind of database for fine artists for painters oh, okay. in, in Finland, yeah, which cool. is like one of the important you know fronts that you can have in, in the in the oh, media. Cool. Yeah, Kuvata means visual arts in yeah. Finnish. Yeah. Or fine arts. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the super long interesting talk about light and art and do you have a website or social media that you want people yeah. to find i have the simple portfolio by my name.com so here as well okay oh hi hi uh, which lists most of my well basically it's, it's at this time it's only like a selected works and yeah. contact but you, you can see the many sides of being a lighting designer, being an artist, a light artist. There are like projects. Just if you have any like sites that you want people to be able to check yeah. out, then we. But I can also list them in the notes with an actual yeah. link so that it's easier. Yeah. The the purpose how I have like pulled it up is to show if you browse through all the projects, you can see that there are like very different things. All the facets of you as like yes. an art person. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> except for the uninteresting things and, and and like I don't list the things that I, I do as a technician because they are like just jobs. That's why it's selected works. Mm. It's the things that I believe are interesting to browse through as a visitor. There is also this question of can you put yourself as an author of something or not? Like, and yeah. if you are just a technician, like. Uh, I'm making quotation marks because of course it's not just but there are like some parts of these things where you can't really like are you the designer or are you just like technically executing someone else's or su- design or surviving, <laughs> or surviving like yeah, yeah. yeah so it's like there's a difference know, yeah. 
I, I usually like take a notion on the on the chronology because there still are many many projects that they contact the lighting designer like a week before the premiere or two weeks mm-hmm. or something like hey we need some light can you come and like work for us then it's kind of like customer service thing but of course like, like you, you can do and help them you can you can execute the thing that they need uh, which is like you don't need to like be a maestro always you know mm. you you can you can like notice that okay this this project needs my help i'm happy to help i'm happy to offer my services yeah sure but it's not maybe a personal design project then oh you don't consider yourself like as um this is my artwork <laughs> yeah yeah like like of course you you start to care about it in the way that you have you you want to kind of in the in the scenario and with the resources to create the best possible outcome for them and you, you you know but it might not be that you are interested in it afterwards or you don't include it in your portfolio yeah yeah well it also depends on how rad it looks yeah <laughs> it's, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's about communication and also when you reach a certain like level and scale of of productions theater and concerts like it's often not the designer that is executing because the designer is hired for their like specific skill set and um, creative look and whatever but they don't have time to stand and push buttons every night for like a whole performance period so they're hired to come in for like two days and program the whole show and then someone else who is cheaper is hired to go on tour and actually push the buttons and execute someone else's design yeah well a couple of few points on this Uh, I say, yeah, some designers don't program, or maybe even most designers don't program these days anymore. If if it's a possibility to use a proper, like, professional programmer, yeah. Uh, because yeah, it, it takes a lot of work to kind of stay up to date in this programming thing because it's, so. it's it's developing so fast. But at the same time, in the same breath, I have to say that me as a designer, uh, I can count with one hand fingers. That the times that I've had my own operator, the times that I haven't been the one who also like. That's what I mean. It's only shows of a certain scale where yeah. they can afford to have so many different people yeah. employed. Big, big theaters, more more or less, yeah. Or big and concert big tours, yeah, yeah. for instance, like where people actually have to sleep in the truck on the way and all this, like yeah. or like in the tour bus. Like it's not necessarily the person who designed the light show who is in the tour bus. Like it yeah. might be someone else. And and especially in in the context of theater, if you if you think about the, let's say musical or whatever that runs more more than a year, mm, how would you think that the same person is employed? Yeah, no. Uh, then I it mean, can be anyone can push the buttons with yeah. a time code, and so. Yeah, but if you are a busy designer, then you have like multiple premieres in a year, and you need to do the design in all of them. Because so, then you are an artist, and yes, like, and not yeah, the technical. Exactly. Yeah. Not just a technician. Okay, I think unless you have anything you feel like we forgot to mention, or you want to include or ask or then I think we have really gotten around this topic very well <laughs> yes <laughs> yes the topic that is an Euroboros again <laughs> yeah I <laughs> we mean, could start again but that's also why I thought it was interesting to come and talk to you here because I also come from a technical background and doing lights in different ways and working with it as a medium as a material in different situations and with different approaches yeah so I thought it was a good conversation to have for the podcast I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think I have 
too much to add. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, and thanks for listening to those out there. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's also interesting to have two people describe the same room. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know if it was different, but maybe. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Thank, Thank you for, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. it.